This is the Kol Hadash Podcast. Kol Hadash is a secular humanistic Jewish congregation in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Rabbi Shalom shared this sermon on Kol Nidre of September 19, 2018 as part of the Yom Kippur 5779. Rabbi Shalom continues to explore the theme of either versus and by reflecting on good and evil by examining the fact that ourselves is the sum from our very worst to our very best self. In the mythical Garden of Eden, are Adam and Eve fully human? For starters, they do not have belly buttons. Even more important, they are not subject to the basic conditions of human existence. They do not die. They do not work. They are alone with no generations before or after them. And they are amoral. They do not know good from evil. When the snake promises they will be like gods, he does not promise they will know everything or be able to do anything. The divinity the snake promises is to know good from evil. Later, it is God who is concerned they will eat from the tree of life and live forever. They have already eaten from the tree that makes them human. Knowledge of good and evil. The Garden of Eden is an origin story imagining how we became what we are. The true promise, the true journey of every human, is to become our fullest humanity, to learn good and evil. Each of us eats from a tree of knowledge, discovers good and evil, and, we hope, learns how to choose. Cain and Abel show how hard that can be. In the beginning, Adam and Eve are really in the kindergarten of Eden. The human story is what's next. This High Holidays, we are going beyond black and white. It is very easy to categorize our needs into me or we, or to divide up the world into us or them. Our messy reality is shades of gray, more accurate and nuanced and flexible than absolutes. The Kindergarten of Eden makes it very simple. Knowledge of tov vara, good and evil, either or, no ambiguity. Ever since that beginning, The stereotype of religious morality has been just as simplistic. Obey clear divine commandments or commit sin. Thou shalt and thou shalt not, and never the twain shall meet. If you have any questions, do not rely on your own understanding. Rely on religious authority. In Judaism, the law was the path, halakha, from the word halach, to walk. In Islam, sharia also means path, as does the Tao in Taoism. And if religious laws seem to conflict or create problems, that must be your limited perspective. If some Torah passages say that children suffer for their parents' sins, and other Torah passages say that children do not suffer for their parents' sins, the job of the clever rabbi is to let you think for a moment that there is a contradiction, and then to show you how these apply to different circumstances, or depend on different types of sin or something else. After all, the United States managed to harmonize all men are created equal and brutal slavery for its first four score and seven years. Some may remember an example of Talmudic logic. Two men fall down a chimney, one gets dirty, and one is clean. Which one goes to wash up? Obviously the dirty one, because they each look at each other, and the dirty one looks at the clean one and assumes that he is clean, while the clean one looks at the dirty one and assumes that he is dirty, so the clean one goes to wash up. Two men fall down a chimney, one gets dirty and one does not, which one goes to wash up? 
Well, obviously the dirty one goes because they look at the mirror across the hallway and see which one is dirty, and so the dirty one goes to wash up. Two men fall down a chimney. Is it really possible to fall down a chimney and not get dirty? As this story shows, a black and white stereotype of religious thought and morality does not hold up to strict scrutiny. Early rabbis did deviate from Torah law, far to the right or to the left, even though they did it through commentary rather than direct amendment. The mistranslated, thou shalt not kill, is really lo tirzach, do not murder, which means distinguishing among capital punishment, warfare, self-defense, the defense of others, accidental manslaughter, death by rampaging oxen that belong to you, and so on. The rabbis knew that people's motivations can be varied, that there are gradations in behavior, that good or evil is the only options is just too simple. For example, from Pirkei Avot, the sayings of the fathers. There are four types of temperaments. One who is easily angered and easily appeased. His virtue cancels his flaw. One whom it is hard to anger but hard to appease. His flaw cancels his virtue. One whom it is hard to anger and easy to appease is righteous. And one who is easily angered and hard to appease is wicked. On Rosh Hashanah, we asked, are you a zero, a two, or a six? We could ask the same question today. Which one are you? One who is easy to anger, but easy to calm down? Hard to anger, but hard to calm down? Hard to anger and easy to calm down? Or easy to anger and hard to calm down? It might depend on the day or the person you're dealing with. The rabbis preferred hard to anger and easy to appease. But all four are recognizably human, and only one of the four is called wicked. One righteous, one wicked, and two are somewhere in between, like most of us most of the time. On Yom Kippur, we are encouraged to forgive others, to forgive ourselves, to allow ourselves to be appeased in the interests of shalom, peace, or wholeness. If our natural character is to be hard to appease, let us try to be more forgiving. If we tend to be easy to anger, let us work to be more patient. The very concept of Yom Kippur indicates that it is not all or nothing, black or white, one strike you're out, righteous or wicked. If we all seek forgiveness, that means that we all fail. We are all a complex composition of good and evil and middling and marvelous. Religion is a reflection of the human experience. So it makes sense that there are provisions for failure and repair and some recognition of ethical reality. Traditional religions project reward and punishment to a cosmic level or an afterlife. While we see reward and punishment as human responsibilities. And we disagree that religion is a necessary precondition for morality. Put simply, you can be good with or without a god. This August, we learned that over 70 years, 300 Catholic priests in Pennsylvania sexually abused over 1,000 victims. These priests devoted their lives to their religion, motivated by their faith. We presume they thought about the sermons they delivered. They read the scripture they cited. They believed in some kind of a God. I am not at all saying that all priests are like this. 300 is a fraction of the number of priests who worked in those dioceses over 70 years. What I am saying is that their example shows that religion is no guarantee for the problem of good or evil. All their faith and study and good works did not keep them from doing heinous evil.
So we are beyond simplistic good and evil. We know that people are complicated, that life is complicated, and that religion is no guarantee. But maybe we have muddied the waters too much. What do we mean by good or evil? Eve eats from the tree of knowledge when she sees that the fruit was desired to make one wise. God and tradition condemn her for breaking the rules, but we might celebrate her for seeking knowledge. Rules be damned. When I mentioned child abuse, did you think those men were evil? Or did you think those men were sick? We live in an understanding and yet cynical era. Accusations of evil draw rebuttals of explanation. Claims of virtue spur us to find hypocrisy. Do a few moral or legal failings cancel any past or prohibit any future good deeds? Or does it matter what those failings were? If I, as a rabbi, were fined for income tax evasion or had a drunk driving infraction, I would likely keep my job. If I had lied on my resume and never attended Yale University, I might survive with a deep apology and public repentance. You can imagine what behavior might get me fired, what has brought down rabbis and professors and even led to a Jewish equivalent of the Me Too movement called Gam Ani. In such cases, no mitigating explanations would save me. Now, please remember, all of these examples are hypothetical. There are gradations of good and evil, a spectrum, not a dichotomy. And yet there is a black line at the end of that spectrum. There is evil. A holocaust is evil. Child sexual abuse is evil. Not every wrong is absolute evil, but there is evil. Adam and Eve may receive the knowledge of good and evil, but their sons quickly demonstrate the power of freedom with the first murder. You may have heard a recent story of two 20-somethings who wanted to bike around the world to show that people are basically good. One of them was quoted as saying, People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. People are bad. People are evil. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. By and large, humans are kind. Self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind. Generous and wonderful and kind. And that may well be true. By and large, we are kind. But by and large is not everyone everywhere. On their bikes in Tajikistan, this couple was rammed by a car and then stabbed to death by five men who later pledged themselves to ISIS and vowed to kill non-believers. Evil is not make-believe. We may throw the word around too easily, but it is part of the human experience and we are naive to pretend otherwise. Knowing the difference between good and evil is basic to humanity. Agreeing on what is evil divides us like nothing else. For some people, cheaters taking advantage of the system is worse than allowing people to go hungry. For others, allowing people to go hungry is worse than a few people cheating. Both sides have a point. Agreed upon rules help society function, and rules alone are not responsive to every human need. In general, we like to define what is good by its consequences. Is it good for us or, and others, or does it harm people? This summer, I participated in a public conversation with Bishop Gene Robinson, who was a bishop in the Episcopalian Church who caused tremendous controversy and schism when he was elected as a bishop in the Global Anglican Communion because Bishop Robinson is gay and because his church was relying on ancient rules to define what is proper sexual behavior. 
I said to Bishop Jean that if those objecting to him had based their sense of right and wrong on real-life consequences for real people, and not just on ancient rules, they might have seen the real harm they were doing to real people. Can we violate the ethical value of group loyalty to protest something wrong by, say, kneeling for the national anthem or challenging Israel's treatment of Palestinians? Some see a moral violation in undermining the group. Others see keeping silent to preserve the group as immoral. Those who believe life begins at conception see thousands of murders. Those who disagree believe the rights of women as full human beings supersede the rights of a potential person in utero. Can we really split the difference and compromise somewhere in the middle? We need to be cautious with the evil label to distinguish between honest disagreement and evil. Human knowledge is limited, and just as we should never assume that we are always factually right, we should avoid the absolute self-confidence that we are always morally right. We have self-serving reasoning. We are inconsistent in our own values. We do not always consider the full consequences of our choices, and our opponents are not always evil, either, neither in their motivations nor in the results of their ideas. I love the moral psychologist Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. If you want to argue effectively, do not start from the assumption that your opponent is evil, with evil intentions using evil methods towards evil goals. Very few people look in a mirror with an evil laugh, as they plan to do what they themselves know is evil. They are fighting for their family. They are defending their religious tradition. They are trying to save the world. My advice, figure out why they think what they are doing is right, and then you have a better chance to move the needle. Even those thugs in Tajikistan who rammed and stabbed the unbelievers had a motivation. I do not have to agree with their motivation to understand where it came from. And my understanding does not prevent me from condemning the action, resisting it, working to stop it. Let us accept that we are post-Eden and even post-post-Eden. For us, the consequentialists, the good enhances our humanity. The good has positive results for ourselves and for others. Good creates happiness and meaning and dignity. Evil degrades and undermines humanity, ours and that of others. Evil creates suffering and sadness and dependence and degradation. We know good from evil, and we know how to tell what good and evil are even without divine revelation and regulation. We will never all agree on the best route through this narrow passage, the policies and behaviors and beliefs best suited to this path, but we can agree that the only power we know that will enforce these rules of good and evil is our own power. The biblical Psalm 34 encompasses both extremes. On one side, it says at the beginning that those who fear God lack nothing. The eyes of God are on the righteous and his face is set against evildoers to erase their names from the earth. The human and the Jewish experience are very articulate, showing this is not reality. The pious suffer plenty, and the wicked can get away with it, like Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele, who was not found until six years after he died. On the other side, a popular Israeli song, part of tomorrow's Yom Kippur memorial service, takes two verses from Psalm 34 to make a humanistic message instead. Mi ha'ish echafetz ha'chayim, who is the person who desires life? Ohev Yamim Lirotov, who loves all his days to see good. Nasur Lashon Chamera, guard your tongue from evil. Usvatecha Midaber Mirma, and your lips from speaking deceit. Sur Mera Veasetov, 
Turn away from bad and do good. Bakesh shalom verodfehu. Seek peace and pursue it. Why do we turn from evil and do good? Not because of cosmic reward or fear of punishment. We turn from evil and do good because it is good for us, for me and for we, for us and for them, here, there, and everywhere. We humans are not gods. If anything, the gods were made in our image. But we might ask, why a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why not just the good? Some say that you need the opposite to know what you want. What is light without dark? Any origin myth must end where we are, and we are not only good. We can be good, and we can be evil. We can be good to our people and evil to others. We can do evil things while thinking we are doing what is right, and every shade of gray in between. Most of what we do is neither all good nor all evil. It is the best that we can do. And that is why we can forgive. We will need forgiveness, too. We live in an era of absolutes. To stand for nuance and dialogue and responsibility to facts is to stand apart. For us, it is to stand together. One of our closing songs for our high holiday celebrations wishes each other Lishana Tova, a good year. Shana Shel Ratzon Tova, a year of good resolve. Shana Shel Shalom, a year of peace. If we can accomplish that, it will be good. Or at least, good enough. You've been listening to the Kol Hadash Podcast. To learn more about Kol Hadash, visit our website at kolhadash.com. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.